You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to. The Life Tree Community Church Podcast. Hey, welcome to Sundays at Home. I'm Pastor Dan. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, this week we're going to continue our series uh, on Nehemiah and going to continue to look at the story of him. We've been talking about it the past few weeks and uh, it's called Memoirs of a Miracle. And it's really the story of, of Nehemiah and how God used him to do some incredible things in the city of Jerusalem. Just to kind of frame it for you, catch you up a little bit. In the beginning, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. Uh, he's in exile, so he's not Persian, but he's in, in the uh, King Artaxerxes' court as the cupbearer. He would test out the king's drinks, make sure everything was okay. And uh, Nehemiah, uh, over time, heard about the situation in Jerusalem, which was where he was from, uh, where the city was now in ruins, and his people were suffering there, and it just broke him. It just absolutely gripped his heart, and he was struggling. Um, and so he continued to just sort of, you know, live in the king's palace, but wondering why, why God had burdened him with this and what he was supposed to do about it. And uh, and then what we find out is that it took about five months for finally one day Nehemiah just to kind of have a breakdown. And the king saw it and noticed and said, hey, what's going on? And we talked about the timing of God in this uh, last week, how God just sort of opened up a door for Nehemiah to have some favor. And he said, hey, king, I know I'm just a cupbearer, but... I want to go rebuild my city. And the king, it's truly a miracle. God gave him all sorts of favor. And the king sends him out with uh, supplies and letters and just giving him uh, everything that he needs to get the job done. And so today we're going to kind of pick up the story with when the work actually begins. So you had like the genesis of the burden and then the timing of it. And today uh, we're going to talk about just what actually happens when the work starts. And What happened to Nehemiah as the work began is something that probably happens to you and me daily, regularly, something that we encounter Uh, anytime we're trying to do something that we feel like is worth doing. um, And it's the word resistance, opposition. Uh, There's just something standing in the way, something trying to keep you from doing that. Albert Einstein said, great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. And I want to take a look at the resistance that Nehemiah experienced today and uh, and how he overcame that and what he did to deal with it, because I think it's helpful for us today to see that. And we're going to look at it at each step of the process, because it wasn't just like one resistance. It was continuous resistance that he, that he encountered. Um, so we're going to kind of read through the story a little bit, and I'll pull out just a few things as we go. So we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, I'll pick it up with verse 16. We say this, The city is... Excuse me, the city officials did not know I had been out there. He was checking out the city or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. So essentially, for those who just to kind of catch up on the story, Nehemiah went out, kind of did like a a survey to see what what shape the actual city is when he got to Jerusalem. He'd heard about it, but he wanted to see it for himself. He kind of looks out, hadn't told anybody why he's there. And now this is where we pick up the story. And verse 17 says, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, as you can all see, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me, and about my conversation with the king. He tells them this amazing story, and they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Here it comes, ready? But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, They scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? 
Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? I just want to pause right here. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Uh, these are Persian officials. These are men who do not want Jerusalem rebuilt. They're afraid of seeing uh, Israel regain power. Um, so what they're going to do here is they're going to begin to question uh, and distort Nehemiah's intentions. What are you doing here? You know, are they're going to plant maybe some self-doubt, uh, call attention to his motives, cast some suspicion on him? You're here to rebel, aren't you? So again, they're going to immediately assume the worst in him. We pick it up in verse 20. Nehemiah replies, The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. I mean, this is bold. Nehemiah speaks truth to power right here. says, this is God's city. You have no right to it. And uh, I'm sure that upon hearing that, they, were, they took it well. They were probably like, oh, you're right. You're right. I mean, this, he drew a line in the sand from the very beginning. There's opposition. And Nehemiah just says, this is not your city. This is my city. You have no right here. Boy, now, I mean, he came in, he came in hot, okay? So then the work begins. We're going to pick that up in chapter 3, verse 1. The work begins now. It says, Sanballat was very angry when he learned we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samarian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? He's demeaning their identity. Do they think they can build the wall in a single day? By just offering a few sacrifices, I mean, just openly mocking them. Do they actually think he's questioning their intelligence, their understanding, paints them as foolish and, and stupid? He says, do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? I mean, it's just emphasize, he's trying to emphasize the challenge before them, trying to make them maybe even doubt their own efforts. It says then in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who is standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. I mean, that's like old school trash talk. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's just saying here, listen, this is so feeble. You're never going to do this. This is, this is, a, this is a, fool's, a fool's errand here. You're not going to get this done. And, then, and, and he's just trying to discourage them. And then we find that they actually continue to work. They, and, and then halfway through, they get halfway through the work. And this is where we pick it up in verse 6. It says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. It's always easy to start something, you know. We're, yeah, we're doing this. We're rebuilding the walls. It says, verse 7, But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. Right, it's not just annoying anymore. This isn't just, oh, you know, this is stupid. What are you guys doing now? This is starting to get threatening for them. And so they upped their game. Verse 8, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Essentially, if we can't discourage you, if we can't just, you know, get you out of your game, then we're going to start to threaten you. We're going to, come, we're going to attack you. We're going to physically come against you. We're going to distract you, confuse you. We're going to try and mess stuff up. I want you to pay attention to Nehemiah's response here. Verse 9 says, but we prayed. First thing is, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Two things, prayed and guarded. Prayed and guarded. There's room for both. There's room for both. We're going to talk about this more in just a minute, but there's room 
for both here. It wasn't just, hey, we'll pray and keep on going. He prayed and he took up a sword. First, right, there's more opposition now. And now, now opposition is starting to come from a different place. Okay, so they've, they've done this. He's dealt with this. Okay, we're going to deal with it. And now opposition begins to come from somewhere else. Verse 10, it says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. These are the Israelites. The people that he's helping. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. It's amazing how opposition can come from so many different places when you're trying to do what's right. Verse 11, Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. So threaten, they're threatening them with fear, added to the people complaining. It says, The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, again and again, hear that, again and again. They continue to tell us they will come from all directions and attack us. Right? Fear. You can hear it. It's tangible. These people are afraid. They're halfway through. They're not even done yet. They're halfway through. They're doing it, though. They're doing the work. We're rebuilding the walls. The gaps are starting to fill in. And guess what? They hit a wall, literally and figuratively. You know, runners, they say they hit a wall when you're running. You know, your run uh, it takes me about 10 steps to hit a wall. I don't know how far you, you can get. Some people maybe, you know, when they hit marathons, they say they hit a wall at certain miles. Um, it's just something, and they just can't run anymore. Uh, writers have this, something similar. It's called, you know, writer's block. You're writing, and one day it's just, I can't, or it's a creative a block or, or a drought or some Maybe as a parent, you've, you've understood you're just simply exhausted. And you're like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm tired. They hit the wall. They're halfway there and they're done. They're spent. And, and their response now is to just complain. To, to complain, to despair. Let me tell you, complaining is opposition. It gets heavy. It gets wearying. It's death by a thousand cuts. My dad used to say it's like getting pecked to death by a duck. Um, Proverbs says it's better to live alone in a desert than with someone who constantly complains. So now you've got this sense of just constant complaint, the heaviness of just the negative talk constantly dragging you down. You understand it? Some of you, maybe you live that. Maybe that's, a, that's something you struggle with. You're, you, you know that you have a tendency to complain, to whine, to moan, to just let it out because you don't know what to do with it. And it's heavy. It's opposition especially when that's all you're hearing again and again. They're hearing opposition, and you add to that the threat of enemies saying, I'm going to come and kill you. The opposition was intense. Again, I want you to hear what Nehemiah does here. Verse uh, 13 of chapter 3, it says, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas, and I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And it's like, you know, Braveheart here is going up and down saying, Fight for it! Fight for it! It says, When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah, who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load, 
and one hand holding a weapon. Nehemiah adjusted the plan to give their people a sense of peace, to give them a sense of uh, that we're, we're doing something here, we're responding to those threats. He continued to speak truth. God is fighting for us, and he kept working. He kept working. I don't have time to get into all the opposition that they that they encountered here, but deeper into the work in chapter 5, you can read about oppression from wealthy Israelites. They were oppressing the, the poor Israelites. I mean, they're all in the same city. They're trying to redeem each other. And again, Nehemiah has to speak truth to the powerful here and remind them this is the goal. The goal is to redeem our people, and you're not helping, and they repent, and they they move forward again, so more opposition from inside. Nearing the end now of the work, as, as they're getting towards the end, chapter 6, they begin now, Sanballat, Tobiah, and the others begin to spread rumors about Nehemiah personally. They attack him personally. And they begin to confuse the issue, saying, you just really want, I've heard rumors that you just want to be king. That you're planning a rebellion against, against the king, you know, King Artaxerxes. And if people believe that, and if word got back to the king, I mean, it could have been the end for Nehemiah. It absolutely, they're beginning to say, hey, come on down. We want to talk to you. We hear these rumors. And, and I love his response. There's, it says five or six times they call him out. Come on, we just want to talk to you. We just want to, can we just, can we just talk? We just want to hear. I need an answer. I demand an answer. You, I'm hearing these rumors. And Nehemiah's response here, verse, verse 8 of chapter 6, he says, I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. And I love this line. Ready? Here it comes. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Nehemiah is the man. Can we just say that? Can we agree? Nehemiah is the man. Truly an example of great leadership in times of opposition. So a few takeaways for us. I just want to just, just pull out a few things as, as we wrap this up. Whenever God burdens your heart for people, who are suffering, and you take a step of faith to do the work of relieving it, of making a difference, there will be resistance. Count on it. Money in the bank. Every great work of God is meant to display his love and his care and his concern for people. And there is an enemy who's got one mission, that's to steal, kill, and destroy. And those two forces are constantly at war in this world count on opposition. So I just want to tell you today, if you're experiencing opposition, you say, I thought God called me to it. He did. And you can count on opposition. Opposition doesn't mean God didn't call you or burden you for that thing. It just means there's somebody bad out there who doesn't want God to bring relief to the suffering of people that he loves and cares for. The second thing is that resistance is going to come from every direction. It's going to come from enemies on the outside. They're going to attack you. And it's going to come from people and family and friends inside. It's going to come from uh, maybe they've lost sight of what matters most. Uh, enemies, perhaps they're, you know, you're threatening somebody's interest. If you've ever stepped on somebody's toes, you stepped on their comfort, on their convenience, uh, on their privilege, all those things. When you begin to encroach upon what's comfortable for somebody else, they're going to resist Count on it, and it's going to come from directions, maybe things you expect, maybe places you didn't expect. And that's okay. It's going to look like threats. It's going to look like temptations. It's going to look like um, it's going to be corporate. It's going to be big. It's going to be personal. It's going to be directed right at you. You're going to be tempted to quit, 
to say this resistance is just it's not worth fighting through this this opposition it's not worth fighting through this is this is this is crazy i'm just trying to do something good no good deed goes unpunished i'm trying to do something good and there's resistance and there's complaining and there's moaning and there's threats and i don't need this kind of drama in my life i don't need it it's not worth it and I just want to encourage you today, if you're there, if you've been there, you're going to get there if you haven't been there yet. I just want to encourage you today. The goal of resistance is to take your eyes off the burden and put it on yourself. The goal of resistance is always to elevate self-preservation. It's to make us care more about our comfort, about our convenience, about our peace than to actually care about what God has burdened our heart for. God broke Nehemiah's heart because people were suffering. If Nehemiah had paid attention to the opposition, he would have taken his eyes off of the people in Jerusalem. And he could have very easily said, hey, listen, I don't need this. I got a cushy job back in, in, the, in the palace. I'm going back to being cupbearer to the king. I, my, my life is good. I'm trying to help you. The Jews, why are you? You're fighting with each other. You're my, I'm trying to help you. Why are you doing it? Why are you complaining to me? I'm here to help you. Listen, you know, you're biting the hand that feeds you. We've got all these phrases because we understand this is what happens. When you try to do what's right, resistance comes. And it always seeks to get your eyes off of the solution, off the burden, off the big picture, off the goal, off the dream, and get it on yourself. Too often people give up work that would truly change things because some obstacle or opposition stands in their way. And I just want to pull out just these three things from Nehemiah as we close. There are three things, simple, totally doable steps that Nehemiah models for us that will help us overcome the opposition, that will help you be able to walk through whatever resistance stands in your way. First thing he does, when opposition comes, Nehemiah prays. Every time. He prays. He invites God to do what God can do. God, I invite you to fight for me. Fight for me, God. You're big. God, you called me to this. You put me in this. You see this. And God, I now invite you into this situation to fight against my enemies. Whenever you encounter opposition, your very first response, the very first action you take should be to get on your knees and cry out to God to fight for you. Do you know how big God is? Do you understand how big God is? And when you invite God, listen, Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they got nothing. The haters out there, the people that just want to stop you, they have no chance when God gets involved. The very first, most important, biggest step you can take anytime resistance comes is get on your knees and say, God, fight for me here. There's things in my way. There's things seeking to distract, to, to stop. God, I need you here. Hear them. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to how it's affecting me. God, I need you. But not only did they pray, second thing, it says they prayed and they guarded the city day and night. So they prayed and then they picked up a sword. I'm going to tell you today, the second thing is to protect what needs protecting. What needed protecting? The vision needed protecting. The people were forgetting, what, what, what are we doing here? Hey, we're rebuilding a city. You're not just putting blocks on it. We are rebuilding Jerusalem, our homeland. We are creating, we're restoring our dignity. We're reclaiming what is rightfully ours, what we lost because we had wandered away from God. He has now given us a moment, an opportunity to reclaim that. This is what we're doing. And Nehemiah constantly said from the very beginning when he walked in, this is not your city. This is our city. I'm going to protect the vision. 
He protected hope and dreams. Hey, listen, you need hope. If without hope, the people are going to quit. We're, we can't do this. We can't do this. Yes, and God is fighting for us. I'm going to restore hope to you. If the truth was lost, people were going to forget. I'm going to speak truth to you. And finally, if the people were lost, Nehemiah had to protect the people because if the people were lost, what good is a rebuilt city? So the only way to protect the people was to arm, to arm them, to give them what they needed. So they got a, a, a trowel or a brick in one hand and, and a shield or a, or a sword in the other. We're going to do both. These things needed protection, and Nehemiah contended for them. You need to pray, and you need to protect what needs protecting. Now, I want to pause here because I also need to highlight this. There are things that don't need protecting. Guess what didn't need protecting? First and foremost, Nehemiah's reputation. He let people talk. They accused him. They, they assaulted him with, I hear you doing this, and I hear you doing this, and, and they, they tried to, you know what, and he did not defend himself. He said, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to defend my reputation. He didn't, he didn't protect his comfort. It says he didn't change clothes. He suffered. It says he worked around the clock constantly. He left a palace to go do this. He did not value or prioritize his comfort. He worked with a sword in one hand and, and, and a shovel in the other. It wasn't convenient. He did not protect his comfort. He didn't protect his reputation. And I just want to say to you today, be careful that you do not protect things that don't need protecting. I see a lot of people protecting things that don't need protection. They're fighting for their comfort. They're fighting for convenience. Perhaps fighting for privilege, for reputation, for their pride. All that it does when you fight and protect things that don't need protecting is it takes your eyes off of what does need protection. When you start protecting what doesn't need protection, it takes your eyes off of what does. And if we spend our energy protecting things that just don't need to be protected, we will have nothing left to protect those who need it. We need to protect the vulnerable. We need to protect the vision. We need to protect truth. We need to protect people. It's, I love scripture. It's so good to us. Jesus promised that our Father in heaven sees every moment of our lives. Consider the birds. He says, look at the birds. Your Father cares about them. How much more does he care about you? And if God cares about me, I don't have to worry about protecting me so much. Because I know somebody's looking out for me. And it frees me to now protect other people. Pray to the God of heaven. Protect what needs protecting. Make sure you don't protect what doesn't. And third and finally, Nehemiah pressed on. He just kept working. Yes, there's resistance, but he never let it stop him. It may have slowed him down, at least from where we stand today. It looks like it slowed him down, right? Because now he can't just work full-time building the wall. He's got to have swords. He's got to have guards. So it looks like it slows him down. Next week, we're going to look and explore how it actually may not have slowed him down at all. He just kept going. He says, so I continued the work with even greater determination. Whenever God burdens you, it's worth fighting for. There's a cost to doing meaningful work. If it was easy, somebody else would have done it already. Expect opposition. Anything worth doing will have resistance. And when it comes, pray, protect, and press on. And just in case we need another example, Jesus might do for us. Hebrews chapter 12 we read this as, keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, 
He and listen to these words. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sim- sinful people, the threats, the the accusations, the lies. Then you won't become weary and give up. I just tell you today, Jesus knows all about opposition. His entire life, he experienced opposition, both from outside forces, one from inside his own disciples. He had opposition surrounding him. Yet, he, because of the joy set in front, because he knew what he was about, because he knew that it would be worth it, because he didn't consider his own convenient comfort or his convenience, it wasn't about himself, because of the vision of relieving the suffering of all of us, he pressed on and persevered. He knows how scary, how intimidating, how overwhelming perhaps the resistance and opposition in your life is. And he wants you to know the burden you have is for a reason, that your sacrifice and your labor of love will not be in vain, that he is fighting for you, and that it's going to be worth it. I want you to just encourage you to allow that truth to turn any resistance into a reason for you to continue the work with greater determination. You want, you want to come at me, enemy? Bring it on. Because my God is fighting for me. And if you're fighting for me, I will then turn this into a reason for greater determination. You're going to bring opposition. I'm going to come harder. Take that, haters. Come on. Come on. I just want to encourage you today, church. We're going to pray and then we're going to close with with that song one more time. But I just want to encourage you today. God gave you a burden for a reason. Trust his timing. And, and expect, count on opposition. And when it comes, pray. Get on your knees and pray. Invite God to do something. Protect what needs protecting. Refuse to protect what doesn't need protecting because it's only going to distract you. And press on. And next week we're going to conclude and we're going to see what happens. How this all ends up. And I can't wait to get there. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, today we come to you. And God, I ask you to give us courage. Lord, courage when opposition comes, when, when, when resistance comes, both from in our own lives, when temptations come to, to destroy us, to take us down, to take our attention off what you've given us. God, I ask you right now to give us the strength we need to press on, to have the vision we need to say this is going to be worth it, to not look at those who seek to destroy our character or our reputation To know that, Lord, you didn't consider those things. You were a man of no reputation. You didn't consider that worth fighting for. But you did consider us worth fighting for. You protected us. May we contend and fight for the people who you have burdened us for. For the marginalized, for the vulnerable, for the suffering, for the outcast, for the oppressed. Lord, for those who are in pain, who are in darkness, for for those imprisoned. Lord, for those who are victims of injustice in our world, God, would you break our heart for what breaks yours? And would you give us the strength we need to do the work to relieve their suffering? Break our hearts, Lord. Let that be our story, that we did not let opposition stop us. It's in your wonderful and powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, or if you'd like to connect with us online, just visit wearelifetree.com.